Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Why? Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. A child needs to know that. A younger person in the faith. And if you look at these three classifications of people, they really are three different groups of, of folks who are in their walk with the Lord. There's, there's, there's those who are young in the faith, those who are somewhere in the middle, and those who are aged, more mature in the faith. And he says, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake, a, a young believer needs to know this. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio for today. We each begin the Christian life as little children. When we're in this state spiritually, it's enough for us to know and be amazed at the forgiveness of our sins and all it took for God to forgive us righteously in Jesus Christ. This is something to rejoice in. If we don't rejoice in this, something's wrong. We probably fail to see the badness of our sin and the greatness of his forgiveness. When we see how great our sin is and how great the cost was to gain us forgiveness, we are obsessed with gratitude at having been forgiven. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. This morning we're just going to look at verses... 12 and probably through 23. I have in the bulletin down through 28 or 29, but I don't really think we're going to get that far. So let's just take a look at it. Um, And remember, John the Apostle is writing this letter. And this morning, we're going to look at one of the reasons, one of the great reasons that he wrote this letter, and it was about deceptions in the last time. And uh, so we are going to be looking at that. So let's pick up in verse 12. And this is one of the reasons he had written the, the, the letter, the epistle, the letter. is right here in the first few verses. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. You, for, your, for his, his name's sake, for Jesus' sake. And I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who was from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. And notice, he reiterates the same thing again. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning, and I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Going on, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. 
And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued, or they would have, excuse me, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, but he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, and Lord, we pray that you would encourage us in it, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go back to verse 12 here. You'll notice there's three different classifications of people that John is mentioning. In verse 12, he says, I write to you, little children. And, and just underline these uh, designations, you know, and these from verses 12 through 14, you're going to see little children. You're going to see young men and fathers. And I want you to just pick up on something, and we're not going to spend a great deal of time on this, but this is one of the reasons why John wrote this letter, is to encourage them, because they're growing. They're growing in their faith, and he wants to you know, make them aware of certain things that are coming. And I believe this letter is very timely for us today. In fact, the Word of God is like that. It's not a novel that you can read, and you can just set it out on the... Uh, garage sale and put a 25 cent sticker on it and somebody buys it and they read it and they put it on a a 10 cent sticker on it and sell it and their next thing no the word of god is alive it's alive because every time we pick it up every time it's truth it's spiritual truth and it's much of it is in condensed form and it's just an unraveling as we read it. it it just becomes more colorful to us and more applicable more pertinent to what we're living in and we need this This is so important for us today, more so than ever before. And as we get closer to the return of Jesus, as we get closer to the time when the rapture of the church will come, we know that that event occurs first, right? The rapture of the church. And then seven years later, we know that Jesus is coming back physically to the earth. And as close as we get to those events, these the whole entire word of God is going to come alive like it never has before. And that's why we have always encouraged you to stay in it. Stay in it. Abide in the Lord. Put off the things of the darkness. Put off the things of the flesh. Get serious in your walk with the Lord. The time is shorter than it ever has been. Twenty years ago, I remember Pastor Jeff saying to us, the time is short, and it was. But let me tell you, the time is even shorter now. It's shorter now than it has ever been. But look at verse 12. He says, I write to you, little children. Why? Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. A child needs to know that. A younger person in the faith. And if you look at these three classifications of people, they really are three different groups of, of folks who are in their walk with the Lord. There's, there's, there's those who are young in the faith, those who are somewhere in the middle, and those who are aged, more mature in the faith. And he says, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake, a, a young believer needs to know this. But then he goes on and he writes, he says, I write to you fathers, because you have known him who was from the beginning. And I want you to notice that the next time he addresses the fathers... It's the exact same thing. Nothing changes. All the other two groups, 
His exhortation to them changes a little bit, but when it comes to the fathers, the most mature, it doesn't mean that they're not growing any longer, but it does mean there's a, there's a stability in their life. There's a stability. Because I, uh, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And then he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And what a great thing it is for a young person, a young person in the faith, to have the victory and to understand that there is victory in Christ, that there is victory in overcoming sin, that you have the power within you to resist sin and be victorious. And you stay in that and stay in that. And when you fall, you confess it and you get right back on the bike again and you ride. Right, David? When you fall off the bike, you get right back on it again, right? You do it. because, And he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And then he says, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. And I have written to you, fathers, again, notice the same thing, the same exact thing. He just, it was almost like he just copied and pasted it back there again, because fathers are supposed to be more mature, more solid in the faith. They ought to be, at least. More stable. Because you have known him who is from the beginning, and I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. There's progress, there is sanctification, there is consecration, there is a continual forward movement. And that's true for any one of us, whether you're an, an older man in, in the faith, or somewhere in the middle, or whether you're young. It's, we're all growing, and we need to continue to grow. It's, it's one of the things that really is a hallmark of the Christian faith. It's one of the ways that we know that we're his, by that we continue to grow. But let's get into verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. These words for love, as we know, remember last week we looked at that passage in John chapter 21 where Jesus was um, restoring Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? (laughs) Do you agape me? Do you agapeo me, Peter? Lord, you know I phileo you. Just another Greek term for love, but less of a, less potency. It's more like just a friend. Peter, do you, do you love me with a, with a great desire? Do you really love me? Are, do you really love me, Peter? Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I'm just a friend. I'm, I'm a good friend. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you even phileo me? Do you even love me as a friend? And Peter, remember, was grieved that the Lord had said that. In our English translation, you, know, you never get that. But when you look at those words love in the Greek, it makes total sense. Jesus was drawing him out. And you notice Jesus didn't throw him away. Peter was being honest, and you know the Lord appreciates honesty. You know why? Because you can't hide anything from him anyway. It's like playing hide-and-seek with God. You going to play hide-and-seek with God? I'm hiding under the stairway in the cellar. Can he, does he know I'm here? Yeah, he knew you were going to be there before you were born. <laughs> it's no fair, right? But in this verse here in 15, he uses the same word. Do not agapeo the world or the things in the world. If anyone agapeos the world, and this is a really strong Greek word for love. It's the highest form of love in the Greek language. Agape, agapeo, same thing. It's, it's a high, the highest form of love. And there's different forms of love. There's the best, which is agapeo or agape. And then there's phileo. And then there's storge. And then there's eros. The kind of love that Eros talks about is the kind of love that Hollywood portrays to it. It's just lust. 
That's all it is. It's not even love. It's just lust. And that word is never found in the Bible. But the other three are. And agape. Do not love the world. Do not love the world. The idea of agape is this. It is called out of one's heart by the preciousness of the object loved. It is a love of esteem, of evaluation. It has the idea of prizing. It's the noblest word in the Greek language. And it's not kindled by the merit or worth of its object, but it originates in its own God-given nature. In itself, it's um, not self-seeking. It gives of itself, even when the object doesn't care or doesn't want to know. And see, that's the kind of love God demonstrated for us while he hung on the cross. Was there anybody there at the cross except for a handful of women and John at the last? No, there wasn't. Everybody fled from him. That is the word that we're looking at here. Do not love the world. You know, um, do not prize the world. You know, the, the, the physical world is not what is being spoken of here, but rather the world system, its ways, its allurements, its philosophies, its politics, its adulteries, its idols, its things. Those are the things that we're told not to love. You can look at the mountain, you can look at a mountain in, in, in Colorado and it can take your breath away, even in its fallen state. And it can blow you away. And it's okay. We can love that mountain because of the beauty of it, because it, it shows a, some glory of, of, of God and his genius of creation, right? But we are not to love the world in the sense of its ways, its politics, its allurements, its system. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he says, Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my name's sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There's a gentleman down here um, on Browncroft. He has, a, he has a house, and he has that sign out on his front of his, uh, by his house. I haven't seen it lately, but I'd walk, uh, would drive by and I would see it. And what a good reminder. You know, what does it profit if you gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? And yet so many people are content at giving away everything for what? Something so temporal, folks. We realize it, don't, don't we? It's the, the allurements of the world, the, the things of the world, they're, they're so temporal. The Bible calls them a vapor. Our life is but a vapor. Is it that important? And so many love the world systems and the camaraderie which, and the camaraderie with the rich and the famous and the affluent. You ever see somebody get really giddy around a very wealthy person because they want to be included in their circle? They want to be included in the club. And even just being with them comes benefits. That's why it's very hard for a rich person to have really good friends, really good friends, because when all the money goes away, are those friends still there? Many of them, they do not have friends after that. Some do. But some love to hobnob with the upper crust and have their acquaintance and approval. And do you love the world? You may say, well, I'm a Christian. I really don't love the world, but do you? Are there elements, are there things in your life that are still holding sway over your heart? Is there anything in it that you'd be willing to sacrifice for heaven in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a price? Do you have a price? Some people do. Some pastors do. And it's an unfortunate. Pray for men and, and who are teaching and 
pastors and leaders, and pray for all of us, actually. Keep one another in prayer. Because some people have a price. They won't compromise for ten grand, but three million? Hmm. For that book deal? Hmm. And these are the days that we live in. In Psalm 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness, and the world and those who dwell within. Notice, the earth is the Lord's. It really belongs to him. He created it. However, he's more concerned about those who are in it. He's more concerned with the people than he is the systems and the governments and the things. And how do I know this? Because this present earth and everything in it will be consumed in fervent heat, and God will create a new heavens and a new earth, and it will be populated with those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Doesn't Second Peter tell us that? We've already looked at this before, but Peter says in his second letter there in chapter 3, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Isn't that alarming? Sometimes I wonder what, you know, what the the rich and the really wealthy and, and in the world that all their life, that's all that they've desired is to build this great empire. And then to realize and see a verse like this and say, do you know that there's coming a day when everything you've built and you've strove for all of your life, because it's been a God, it's been an idol in your heart, you want that building named after you, you want to be something big, well, have at it, brother, because one day all of that's going to be burned up with fervent heat. And what is your life after that? Anybody going to remember your name? No one's going to remember your No one's going to care. And that's why it's so important that we love people. And that we even tell that very wealthy person, if that is their heart, to help them, to love them, to encourage them in a walk with Christ. Because there's great fulfillment in the Lord, isn't there? They are seeking in the flesh what we already have by the Spirit. Do you understand that? We have peace. We have contentment, or should have contentment, and maybe we're working in that direction. But they're, they're striving for that. They want peace. They want contentment, and they'll never find it because the world has told them, this is the path you got to go, and the devil's saying, well, you got to do it, man. It's not good enough to be number two wealthiest man. Second place doesn't really get the prize, bro. And so they strive. Even Isaiah, written 700 years before Christ, says this in chapter 34, All the host of heaven will be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. It's pretty significant. And in Revelation 21, we know very clearly, it's written there, that there is going to be a new heavens and a new earth. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. No more sea. And I love this because God is going to redeem his people, and they will be the only thing. Do you realize that? You will be the only thing. People are the only thing out of this entire world that God is going to take up. Everything else is going up in flames. Does that encourage you? I'm glad because I don't want to be here when that, when that happens. But he's going to redeem a church. He's going to re- redeem us out of the world. And he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And a new Jerusalem. I can't wait for the new Jerusalem. I bet the falafel and the coffee is going to be great. And there'll be these little um, pastries that'll be fresh out of the oven. And they'll, they'll remain eternally warm. Even when you have them, you know, you can let them set out at room temperature and they're still nice and warm just because. And it'll be covered inside with like a chocolate cream. And it'll be the best chocolate. 
But God sees all mankind as valuable. That's why he doesn't want us to love the world nor the things in it. He wants us to be in the world but not of the world. He desires to redeem a bride out of the world. In fact, in Matthew 13, there's a parable of the hidden treasure. And this really speaks of, of, the, of the Jews where Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and, and buys that field. The Jews are that, are that treasure. In fact, in Scripture, in Exodus, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be, God says, a special treasure to me above all people. God speaking to the Israelites, and certainly even in the Psalms, the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. So God speaks of this treasure in the field, and the field is the earth. And then right after that, he speaks about us, the church, the Gentiles. In Matthew 13, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And there's been a lot of speculation about what this parable really means. But let me suggest to you that it's not um, the, the merchant is not us seeking the word of God, which is the pearl of great price. No, the Bible says that there's none good, no, not one. I, I, in my own flesh, I never sought God. I didn't really love him. I didn't seek after him with all I've got. Now I, I, I do, hopefully. But who initiated it all? Well, the merchant, let me suggest to you, is the Lord himself. He's the merchantman, and the church is the pearl of great price. A pearl is brought out of the sea, and in the Bible, the sea speaks of humanity. He takes that pearl out of the sea of humanity, this, this, this bride of Christ, and we know this is true of us Gentiles because pearls were nothing of significance to the Jews, but they were to the Gentiles. Pearls are made of an interesting material. It's calcium carbonate, and it's the same thing as chalk, and it usually takes about three to seven years for a really good pearl to come from a, an oyster. And the actual pearl itself, this is really wonderful. A pearl is formed by irritations. A grain of sand can get underneath the muscle of an oyster, and it's an irritation. And as a result of that irritation, it secretes this calcium carbonate, this lime kind of substance, and it begins to form over time. And around three to five to seven years, as a result of that irritation in the side of that oyster, comes forth this precious jewel. In the church, we were born from the wounds of Jesus Christ. We were that, not an irritant to the Lord, but we were formed because of the wounds of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians, it says that, For God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become righteousness of God in him. And certainly we know of Isaiah 53. This is the chapter that we love so much. It says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And it's from the side of Jesus. If you remember, as he hung on the cross, they took that spear and they pierced him, and out of his side came forth blood and water. And out of his death came forth life. The church was born on that day, just like that pearl that pearl of great price was formed in the heart of God and purchased by him. Just as Eve came forth from Adam's side, so we too, the church, was born out of the side of Christ by the blood that he shed. 
See, God loves people, and he's come to redeem them, but not the things in the world. If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Christ, now is the day. Now is the day. I'm sorry that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as we continue our study in John's epistles. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.